Football season is almost here. Y'all know that, don't you? <laughs> For true fans, there is little more that is important in these coming days. It is almost with electric anticipation that we await those wonderful Friday nights or Saturday afternoons or whenever your favorite team is playing those moments in which everything to, things seems to be just right with the world. <laughs> I talked with a coach recently, about three weeks ago, and he was reflecting on opening day. I was encouraging him along, and I said, how are things going? for uh, the beginning of the season, and he, he looked at me and he said, I'll tell you an interesting thing, preacher. He said to me, he said, you know, the least busy day of my week is on game day. I said, that's interesting. That is interesting. I said, the least busy day of your week. He said, exactly, he said, if I don't have it ready by the game day, he said, it's not going to get done. <laughs> I say, I, I know where you are there, my friend. <laughs> you and I know that when we sit down to watch game, that what happens out on that field is not just circumstantial. But it occurs through great planning that has been over the course of days, weeks, even months in advance of that game. It's fascinating how detailed some coaches become in trying to not only understand their own team, but understand the teams that they will be playing against. They will send out spies to figure out what the plays are going to be that they will be up against. They will send out people that will come back with resources, having filmed other teams playing uh, earlier in the seasons. They will go over these in such detail in order to get their game plan right. They want to take out as much, as much as they can out of the game so that they realize what is going to be happening on the day of the big event. You and I know that there is a game plan at work. When we look at the field, if we really think about it, and know that without that game plan in effect, everything goes haywire. In fact, it can go haywire even with a game plan in effect, can it? Ever since humans became self-aware enough to be reflective, they have wondered what God's game plan might be. Millennium ago, 
families would gather around a fire in the evening in their campsites and they would reflect together on life. This was long before television, long before radio, long before cellular plans. And usually it was prompted by a child who would say, tell us the one how it all began. And one of the elders of the family who had been given the responsibility of passing on this information in story form would begin sharing how God created all things. In fact, before God created, there was nothing. There was nothing but chaos. And God set things in order by creating the light and the darkness. And God, by his very precious word, began to create the sky, this dome over our heads, and they would look up, the children and the adults, and stare into the stars that were above them, so clear, sparkling, like diamonds in the night. And they would know that it was true. And God created the earth, actually birthed it right up out of the water. And it became dry ground and the seas were set in place and the dry ground was set in place and before you knew it, seeds had been planted and everything began to take root. And God made all of this possible. And he set the earth alive not only with plants, but with animals, creatures, insects, all birds flying in every different direction, the earth itself crawling with life. And then he created humankind. How beautiful this is. God said it. In fact, after each act of creation... He stepped back to take a look and he said, how good this is, how good this is. What a game plan that is, that God would set everything in perfect order. And yet the very perfect plan that God has put in place had one very interesting dynamic to it, and that is, he left a lot of freedom in the mix. Especially when it comes to humans giving us the chance to choose what we will do and what we will not do. Now, I don't know about you, but I was remembering back these past few days when I was a child, we had a game that we would get out usually around Christmas time, it wasn't something that would entertain us all year round, but we would pull it out of our game shelf and we would set it on the floor and it was this electric football game. Do any of y'all remember this? Very simple. It had, it had this little metal board and I, I never figured out exactly what it was, but something underneath that would make this metal board just shake, just shake like this. And you had these players that you would line up against each other. And this always looked better on TV. 
But you would switch this thing on after having lined up, you know, for that, that marvelous end run or that pass or whatever you had in your mind. And then you would turn the board on and the players would just jiggle everywhere. Going in every different direction. It didn't matter how much time you spent putting them exactly where they were supposed to be. They would always end up somewhere where you least expected or wanted them to be. You and I, you and I were created by God. Such a beautiful thing. The psalmist, when he reflected on this, broke into verse and simply said, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens and out of the mouths of babes and infants. You've founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at the heavens and work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've established, what are human beings that you're mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them, yet you've made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. What beautiful words to describe this game plan that he has to make us like himself, to give us this image of God that is impressed upon our spirits, our souls. And yet how risky this plan was. How risky this plan. I remember that my high school football team was probably one that had the worst record in all high school history. Um, I keep telling myself it wasn't because of me, but I'm not sure anymore. I played for a couple of years, and I, I feel sorry now for my coaches who had to deal with me and the rest of the team. We were so inexperienced. We had not grown up through a culture of football in that little community, Randolph County Comprehensive High School, which sounds, it, it's an ostentatious name for a place that is near the edge of the earth. And, and our coaches, Coach Southwell and, and uh, Coach Griffin, they had their work cut out for them. I remember first they had to convince us to actually play on the team. I can remember Coach Griffin coming to me in the hallways. And you know that you're desperate. You know that you're desperate when you are running down a 135-pound guy <laughs> to play on your offensive line. You know you're desperate. You know you're desperate. When, when I finally said yes to, to this guy, I ended up standing there with, the, with, with all of the equipment on at practice, and, and I can remember that, that we were a motley crew. I was sort of on the low end of the weight threshold, and there was another guy that was, that was 400 pounds if he was an ounce <laughs> on the other end, and we called him Sugar Bear. I, I can tell you that it was not all muscle. It was not all muscle that he was carrying with him. 
but it was effective when placed in the right spots. And so we would have, we would have these, these practices that were absolutely, I'm sure, anybody who was watching us from the sidelines, these practices were absolutely hilarious. I mean, we were trying our best, but we were, we were entertaining ourselves as we, as we went. And I'm sure that we were off focus much of the time. And the coaches probably were throwing up their hands. What do I do with this stuff, you know? I can remember Coach Griffin shouting at us, shouting at us. Friends, you hear me today? You listening up? You think that practice makes perfect? Let me tell you, practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Now, is, is that a coachism or what, you know? It's been said 100,000 times before in many other places. But, but he was trying to tell us, he was trying to tell us, it's not just going to happen at the event. You have to invest yourself in it and be a part of this, this, this game plan that the coach himself could see in his mind, all of the... X's and O's on the blackboard, you know, all of the arrows pointing in their different directions. But to get us to live into that was another, another thing entirely. To infuse us with the same hope, the possibilities that they saw was a big job. I had seen pictures of it. I was so fascinated with the artwork of Frederick Hart, whom some of you may know and others may not. He is this marvelous sculptor, now deceased, a Georgian, born here uh, not too far down the road. He was this artist that Washington just adopted as their own. In fact, if you've been to the Vietnam War Memorial, you've seen those three soldiers standing beside each other. You, you know what I'm saying? Even if you haven't been there, you've seen that, the pictures of it. Frederick Hart, Frederick Hart's work. Unbelievable, unbelievable sculpture. But I had seen a picture some 10 years ago and became so mesmerized with one piece of art that he had produced that, that Sue gave me a miniaturized version of it. In fact, if you come into my office sometime, you can see it. But it is Frederick Hart's Ex Nihilo, which is in the National Cathedral in Washington. Sue and I went to Washington in May and I saw it for the first time. If you ever go to Washington, you should not miss it. It is amazing what he might have been thinking about as he was carving. It is provocative to say the least, this beautiful sculpture that has 
the creation of the world in progress, but particularly the creation of humankind and men and women in all their nakedness. Now, that'll send some of you to Google this this afternoon, won't it? <laughs> in all their nakedness, rising out of this, this chaotic surf. And you know where that is? It is located just over the front door as you are entering the sanctuary. Man, we would have good attendance if we did something like that here at Pittman Park. Look at it and just see the beauty of not only Frederick Hart at work, but God at work. His game plan in place, setting things in motion with such beauty, such hope, such purity, such holiness. But it is, it is, it is a hard thing to keep things in place, isn't it? How many mothers or grandmothers have had a game plan for Thanksgiving Day before? Oh, like a Norman Rockwell painting, you've got it in your mind. That the turkey sits there at the middle of the table and you've got each place set. Nobody's in the room yet, but you've got all of the accoutrements of a meal that surely everybody will sit down to and enjoy the way that you picture it. Conversations. There's this peacefulness in the room. Is that what happens at your house? <laughs> Just as soon as the door opens and people come and sit down, all chaos breaks loose. As people reach across the table and as children start crying, as food gets dropped on the carpet, as you run out of certain things that you didn't think that you would need that much of, all chaos breaks loose. The game plan has to be changed. You see, this is where a good coach comes in. Now, think with this just a little bit. Because as God set this game plan in motion, Adam and Eve were the first ones to divert from the plan. And I don't need to tell you what happened. You already know how they got themselves in such trouble by eating that fruit and how they hid themselves and the coach came looking and said, where are you? And when he discovered where they were, he said, of course, you know things have got to change here. And they left the garden by his instruction. And he said, I'm not putting you to death. Don't act like I'm putting you to death. But life is going to be different and it's going to be hard for you. You're going to have to work now. You're going to have to work in order to make this work out. And they began to birth the next generation who would also be a part of the game plan. And surely Cain and Abel played together as children. 
finding their way through the patch that had been planted there in the garden and being called down by their mother who said, don't step on that. That's all we got to eat. And yet they ran and tussled. But as life began to become more serious and Cain perceived that somehow his brother was this favored child, he killed it. And God, when he comes into the situation, again sees that the game plan has to be altered in order to fit the situation. This free living situation that he himself had set in motion. All of this, all of this lends itself to no resolution whatsoever, it seems. Except the one thing that no one had ever expected. I wish I could see this at a game sometime. That a coach who is on the, on the field but staying in his place on the sideline would become so involved that he would actually race on to the field and become a part of the game. I've never seen that happen. But let me tell you, that's exactly what happened with God's game plan. Is that he realized that the only way, the only way to get us to truly buy in to his game plan. It was to put himself on the field. Wesley struggled with this. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, struggled with this. Because when you keep that at a distance, when you keep the idea of God's directing things from a distance, you can function within the church and be a part of all of its structure and still not get it in here. Get it in here. But when you pray the prayer, God, make me, make me a part of your game plan. Something incredible happens. As Wesley described it, he said, he said, my heart was strangely warm. I cannot describe to you exactly how it happened, but I know in my spirit that somehow God came and made me a part of his game plan. I like the way in which the Apostle Paul spoke to Timothy. And Timothy began to think to himself that he was outside of the game plan. And he began to communicate with Timothy and to be his coach. He began to say to Timothy, he said, I'm grateful to God whom I worship with clear conscience as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit 
of power and of love and self-discipline. Do you ever say to yourself, man, I could use a coach. If I just had somebody standing beside me telling me what I should do and helping me at least so that I have a better chance of making the best decisions with my life, then maybe I could stay closer to the game plan. Do you ever say, I could use a coach? Let me tell you, you've got the best coach that there is. It's not your pastor. God speaks to you directly. And he will give guidance to you. In fact, he loves you so much that I will tell you, he does the incredible thing of actually getting on the field with you. This is the nature of who Jesus is. This revelation of God. This new game plan. Does that make you want to get in the game too? God bless us and use us for his purposes.